0: Welcome to the Grace in the Gray podcast, where we use the black and white of Scripture to speak truth into the gray areas of culture. I'm your host, Sam, and today I'm joined by Rick and a special guest appearance by James. Hey, James.
1: Hey, the bearded wonder.
0: Ben is out this week, and so we thought we would have a fun episode. Not that Ben's not fun but <laughs> sorry God, Ben if you're listening. Ben goes to
1: Asheville for one week and his guy's sense of humor is attacked from afar. <laughs> go ahead Sam.
0: We tend to lean a little serious on the podcast so today we're going to talk about weird things that we read in the Bible and I hope hmm. y'all are on the edge of your seat and you got a coffee or some popcorn because this is going to be fun. So who wants to start Rick or James?
1: I'll go first because mine's, mine's pretty easy. Uh and I'll, before I do mine, so I'll cheat a little bit. Uh, before I do mine, I will say if you're like watching this, if you're tuning into this, and you're like, I I didn't grow up around the Bible, or maybe you don't come to this from the like biblical worldview perspective, you're not a church goer, haven't been a church goer for a long time in your life. I want I want to first recognize that an unbelievably higher percentage of the stuff in the Bible that we recognize as weird is weird, right? Like. Even like, I feel like we could skim over so many things. We talked about it before we got going. Like, Mary, Jesus' mother, has a baby without ever having sex, right? She's a virgin at the time of her birth. Like, that's really weird. And so, we could go through any list of things that, for those of us who maybe grew up um, in a more Christian home or a Christian background, we skim over those kind of things. So, if you view the Bible and a lot of it is really weird, that's cool. We'll kind of discuss that out as this goes on. Like, what do I do with most of the Bible if that's the way that you read it? Um, but even for those of us who grew up around it like some of the stuff uh, I think particularly most of us navigate to stuff in the Old Testament because it was such a far separate world from the world that we live in now there's a lot of stuff that you read in there that's just befuddling I guess would be one of the best adjectives that I can think of at least off the cuff to come up with Uh, and I was thinking about this prepping for this and I went to a passage in second Kings chapter two. So if you want to read that, maybe Sam will post the show notes, uh, some of these passages of scripture for where these things come from. But in second Kings chapter two, Elisha is a prophet, uh, who also, um, I'm trying to be sensitive to those watching is, uh, he's without hair. Um, he's, uh, and I also want to be sensitive because of what happens in the story. So Elisha is, you know, he, he struggles with male pattern baldness, uh, and that he has no hair at all. And, uh, we're in this kind of transitional time for the people of Israel between prophets, and so the prophets were regarded in the same way that God was, and so they revered them, they were to respect them, they were to listen to them, and all those kind of things. But we pick up in this story, uh, and Elisha is surrounded by, um, it says, young boys who are making fun of him, and it literally they're literally telling him to go on up the mountain baldy, depending on what <laughs> translation of the Bible that you read it in, and then... Uh, Elijah curses them. It says that he calls down a curse from heaven. And then immediately, two she bears uh, uh, come running down the hill and maul and eat 42 of the boys that were making fun. I don't know the total number that were there. That's probably in some translation. And I haven't read that story here very much of recent. Um, but 42 of the boys are attacked and mauled by a bear. So that's a, I would say that's a strange. So. <laughs> Don't don't make fun of the Rogaine commercial or, or anything like that. I guess is the point of that one. So,
0: <laughs> is a she bear a mama bear?
1: I yeah, I guess. And I've <laughs> I've been around some mama bears that you know m- might would do some mauling, but that's a different story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, James, you want to follow that one up?
1: Yeah. So,
2: this is kind of the go-to that I've uh, known for a long time. Of, I don't know that it's weird. It's just oddly specific. And it's astounding when you think about how long the Bible has been in existence, parts of it, that goes back thousands of years, and the things that people chose to write down and leave out, I mean, have survived for millennia. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, in Judges 3, um, we have a guy named Ehud. Uh, He was the king of Moab. Um, He was given power over Israel, and he goes to a king. Uh, let me double check I need you
1: to know that all the names that you're reading as you're checking and looking at this this sounds like Uh it should be the beginning of a Star Wars movie and Ehud was the king of the (laughs) Moabs and he was over the people of Israel and like the little scrolling Star Wars screen you know what I'm talking about
2: yeah I mean it it takes background because I mean on the surface with the background information it's just a story yeah but the things that made it into the Bible uh, you know and put that up there with the things that didn't Mm -hmm. like Potiphar's wife yeah. We don't know her name. That didn't make it to the Bible. Potiphar made it. Joseph made it, not Potiphar's wife. Uh, so Ehud is going to see uh, Elgon, the king of Moab. And it says, quote, who was a very fat man. <laughs> so we, we know that uh, Ehud has made a double-edged sword. Um, he goes to the king, pays tribute, um, and sends everybody kind of on their way. And then he says, your majesty, I have a secret message for you. And the king said to his attendants, leave us. And they all left. So they go to this upper room of the palace. And he says, quote, I have a message from God for you. And he draws the sword. um, And I kind of glanced over this and failed to mention it. Uh, Before he goes to the king, and they're still given the, the Star Wars scrolling background, it specifically says that Ehud was a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. So before we know who his family is and the lineage <laughs> that's first, everything you know, in these Old Testament books, we know he's left-handed.
1: And fat? Or does that come after the family lineage? No, no, no. no.
0: The Avenger is left-handed, right? Yeah. The one who does the
1: stabbing. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ehud's left-handed. Uh, he goes to see this very fat man. I'm left-handed, so I'm, I'm with you, Team Ehud. <laughs>
2: So I'll jump back in where I left off. He says, I have a message from God for you. The king rose from his seat. Ehud reached with his left hand, because he's a lefty, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly, which would be bad enough. Uh, But it specifically says, even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. So this was an enormous guy. (laughs) And then Ehud went out to the porch. He shuts the doors of the upper room behind him, and he locks them. So they keep on going here. Uh, He's left. You know, he killed the guy, lost his sword in the process. And he's on his way out when, uh, you know, all the people that they sent out start saying, well, the the king, uh, shouldn't he be out by now? Uh, so the servants, they go to the door and they find it locked. They say, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. He's using the bathroom, which uh, I guess in part, they're not wrong. Uh, because <laughs> he that did relieve himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they eventually get the room unlocked and they see that he's dead. But uh, just an interesting series of facts. Yeah.
0: And how did they ever figure out what killed him? If the belly swallowed the sword... And the murderer left.
1: <laughs> that's a good question. Who's, who's in charge of the autopsy here? <laughs> yeah.
0: No. yeah, that's a weird one. Huh.
1: What do you got, Sam?
0: Okay. I have 1 Samuel 5, 6 through 12. And I'm just going to read it because <laughs> there's also a, a different translation that kind of makes it weirder. So, um, all right. So in, this, in this, this section of the Bible, you've got the Philistines who have stolen... The ark of the covenant so the ark is is with them and they're being plagued by god so it says the hand of the lord was heavy against the people of ashdod and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors both ashdod and its territory and when the men of ashdod saw how things were they said the ark of god the ark of the god of israel must not remain with us for his hand is hard against us and against dagon our god so they sent and gathered together all the lords of the philistines and said what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they've stolen the ark and God plagues them with tumors. Now, This translation doesn't say it, but other translations, specifically the King James version, I'm reading out of ESV, but the King James version says that they were afflicted with hemorrhoids in their secret parts, Mm. (laughs) because I don't think tumors was, was a word that they used then. So, but the weirder part is later on in the story, they send the Ark of the Covenant back And they um, sacrifice—not they sacrifice. Yeah, they send a sacrifice, basically like a guilt offering, and they send back golden mice because they were also afflicted by mice, and five golden tumors. So they have this this sacrifice of golden hemorrhoids. Hmm. Basically, what do you think? What
1: do you think going street value is for a golden hemorrhoid? (laughs) (laughs) Do they take those at the little trucks outside of the mall like we buy gold? Uh, I imagine
2: they have to have a different preparation.
1: <laughs> nice, I see what you do there. Preparation G. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: oh my gosh! <laughs> oh,
2: well done, well done indeed.
0: <laughs> all right, that was that was my weird one. Do y'all have any more?
2: I have another one, and this one, uh, it comes up in my mind a lot because we every once in a while we'll sing. There's a, a song I think it's from Elevation, uh, King of Kings, mm. and the, uh, of all the things that you would put into a song, this random verse that lives in isolation in the New Testament is in there. So this is from Matthew 27. Uh, If you look that up in your Bible, you're probably going to see that section referenced as the death of Jesus. So this is the part of Matthew where Jesus is on the cross and dying. So we get up to the part where the veil is torn from top to bottom, um, which is in verse 51. This is right after Jesus in verse 50 has shouted with a loud voice, given up his spirit, the veils torn. And then we get to verse 52 that says, The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. And nothing else is said about that again. (laughs) I mean, I, I wonder you know if you were there and all of a sudden how
1: do you just let that slide
2: yeah i mean i mean maybe that's what peter was talking about when he says you know you've seen the signs yeah maybe that was fresh on people's mind i wonder if some of those people that were in jerusalem for that were the resurrected i mean you can get into weird speculation without a lot of details but
0: so like the walking dead
1: yeah the first zombie apocalypse
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah oh. just think, things you wonder you know Could y'all put, like, one more sentence about what that (laughs) was?
1: Just give me a little bit. I always get in trouble with my (laughs) wife, Um, like, when people tell me stories, and I don't ask for the details. Like, I feel like I would be these people, you know what I mean? And my (laughs) wife would be like, well, where were the dead people going? What were the dead people doing? How did they come in? Were they walking? Were they floating? And I'm like, oh, that's just... There was dead people. I, don't know. I didn't ask for any of the details. Uh, so I can relate s- sympathetic to Matthew uh, as he writes that gospel. He didn't get the details, and I didn't either. So sorry. I get the high points. <laughs> Got the important stuff in there. Well, so, earlier,
0: so- James, you talked about the meta narrative of the Bible. And Rick, you kind of mentioned it offline earlier that that is one of the strange things in and of itself, the fact that the Bible spans thousands of years and there's no other literary work. That's ever accomplished that feat.
1: Well, I, and I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's not even just the thousands of years because I mean, you could go back and there's a lot of ancient writings. You think things like Hammurabi's Code, that kind of stuff, that are that are at least somewhat similar in terms of date um, to portions of Scripture. Um, but for me, the thing that's really fascinating, and I, I would maybe leave this not in the weird category, but it's certainly kind of beyond human scope and reason, is we have this this ancient text, right? and some of it even more ancient than we can even, you know, we get back into Gen- the, you know, Genesis, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible being super ancient. And even in there, and all of these weird stories, and if you were to go in and unpack, and we want the goal of this podcast isn't to teach a sermon on each of these weird passages of Scripture, we could, although you certainly could. It's that even these weird stories that we looked at that seemingly have nothing to do with anything and are just weird collections of abstract facts and figures and that kind of stuff, are weaving together this narrative that all points toward Jesus, towards his work on the cross. And then even you see, like, in that passage that you just shared, like, this this consummation that is to come, where Jesus is going to make all things new, that for those of us who are believers— um, and have put our faith in Jesus. We believe, uh, and we find the proof of it in the gospel narrative throughout the pages of Scripture. Whether we're talking about Genesis or Revelation, which we can throw Revelation into the weird, the entire book. Uh, <laughs> put asterisks yeah. on the subtitle, title. <laughs> yeah.
2: Weird, but not in Revelation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but not Revelation. Weird uh, is all telling this 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 gospel, this good news story of the fall of humanity, and then how we can be restored. And so each of these stories, regardless of how weird they are, first and foremost, I think this is the interesting thing. One of the things that makes us weird, and we were talking about this before we came on, is we're not the subject of the Bible. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. some of the weirdness of the Bible is caused by the fact that we go to the Bible looking to pull something from the Bible. And that absolutely should be a goal when we go to the Bible. The Bible has an unbelievable amount that it can give us that will transform and shape our lives in the way that we think about our worldview, the circumstances that we find, the gray of our culture, all of that. It's the reason for this podcast. But centrally, the Bible is a book about God, right? It's a a book that teaches us about God. The gospel is his story. The good news is the good news of God, that God is reconciling, that he's restoring. And I think we go to these stories, whether they're the weird ones or the ones that we've kind of accepted as socially normal or whatever they may be, and kind of open the book and go, God... First and foremost, what are what are you trying to teach me about you? And there's there's even to answer that question. There's so many principles and things that have to go into effect um, to be able to read the Bible well. So shameless plug. One of the things that we have coming up in just a little bit. That's actually starting right around now is um, coming out of our Grace in the Gray's groups in the Gray. We're here at Cedar Creek Church. We're going to host four week sessions that are going to allow us to unpack. Just different concepts that maybe help with a real life issue on the ground. So one of them that we're starting in this first round is going to be family discipleship. Like, how do I use this ancient book, this God's word to help me be a parent 2,000 years post it being written? Um, So we're going to do that one. But then the other one is biblical interpretation. Like, how do I actually take weird stories about a left-handed guy stabbing a fat king and his sword getting swallowed and use that not just to... Apply to my life, but to inform my knowledge of who God is. And then I would say, once our picture is more accurate of who God is, that God informs the way that we live our life. Like the better a picture we can get of Him through His Word, through His people, through all of the tools that He's given us, the resources that He's gifted us with, the more accurate a picture we get of who He is. And then the more accurate a picture we get of who we are. And that allows us to tease out that application down at the bottom. But I think, man, for me, I would encourage you, if you've picked up the Bible for the first time or you've been a believer for a long period of time, to maybe change the way that you read it and stop looking for holes to poke in it or even get to the very end of the process. You know, sweet tea made immediately isn't gonna be very good, but allow that to be steeped in the the proper order and to go, hey, God first, Let your word inform me about who you are and then cause who you are to allow me to reflect on who I am. And then when I recognize who I am, allow me to be reminded of who you are and who that's calling me to be. And I think when we get to that spot, whether we're talking about these weird stories or the stories that we've come to see as accepted and and widely by most society, right? Like, cause I think there's not very many, right? Like here, like we hadn't even talked about this jesus was crucified and came back to life right and for the bulk majority of the world somehow we've just accepted that <laughs> and just brushed it off right like hold on a second uh and this is cool my wife and i were just able to go to rome and like we were going touring the vatican and listen to the tour guide and she was talking about the fact that most historians still hold to the fact that crucifixion was the most gruesome form of capital punishment ever invented to date. Like, nobody has ever come to that. And it's one of the reasons that Rome was able to control as many people as they were for as long as they were is because they were experts into intimidation. But this gruesome, not just just death, but death in the most unimaginable way possible. And then he comes back, right? And we just breeze over that. And so many of us had just yeah, we know Jesus was a dude. We know that this is what was claimed about it. Maybe even accept that as a reality. But if you pause and go, okay, what does that mean? Like that has to have a deeper meaning than a guy got killed and came back. Then you begin to wrestle with, okay, what does that teach me about God? And then when you begin to see what that teaches you about God and how he relates to your sin, it's not just wrath. And it's not just those things. There's certainly a place for that. And we find that throughout the pages of the Old and New Testament. We've had that conversation in past episodes about, is this the same God? You know, is the God of wrath in the Old Testament the same as the merciful God in the New? The answer is absolutely yes. The incredible thing, and this is the most bizarre for me and beautiful part of the gospel, is the wrathful God pours out the wrath on His Son so that we might walk in grace and mercy and be given a new identity. And getting that accurate understanding of God And that's Genesis to Revelation. Like, it's all prepping you for that moment, and then it's all allowing us to respond to that moment. From the end of Revelation and John's literature there to where we sit right now, it all reflects, and it's the reason that we can't do away with the God of the Old Testament, because an accurate understanding of Him allows us to see why the cross is so necessary, and then from that allows us to be broken by our sin in a way that aligns our heart with that God and allows us to participate in the story. So, you know, I think whether we're talking about weird things or cool things or whatever way you choose to look at the Bible, I think there's so much unbelievable power and just the insanity of this beautiful piece of literature inspired by God, and we'll talk about that in future episodes to come, passed on generation to generation, still preserved today, is teaching us, showing us the character of God, and then allowing us to come in view of that God, to understand that God, and then to understand his love for us, and then surrender and submit our lives to that.
0: Now I want to go read my Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, there are weird things, but there are so many cool things. And James, you was it you, or maybe it was you, Rick, that showed me the graphic about um, how so many different things are, are referenced yeah, in the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. So I'm definitely going to put that in the show notes because that really opened my eyes. Yeah, about... that's a
1: cool Andrew Peterson lecture <laughs> where he shows that and has that graph and it's unbelievable. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's the one of the cool things. And you've seen this throughout history, as especially as deep thinkers, philosophers, um, and even like deep thinking atheists come to the Bible with this idea to disprove it and end up with their faith in Jesus. There's just something about it as you... Begin to understand not the Bible, like not just the Bible, but the God of the Bible through reading it and understanding what it's teaching us in weird and in normal stuff that we've accepted that's just unbelievable, that's just so, so cool to see, and then to allow, again, your life to be steeped in, and then it begin to shape you sometimes drastically, and sometimes the Bible says one degree to the next. Sometimes it just changes you just a little bit, and you won't know it for years, but it's doing it.
0: So for somebody who's never read the Bible, what would you tell them? Like what – do they pick up the King James Version? Do they pick up a certain version? Do they just open it up? What What yeah, would you tell I, them?
1: My, my, my biggest thing would be pick up a version you can read. Um, there's tons of good study Bibles. My personal favorite, and we can put this in the show notes, is the ESV Study Bible. Um, It's just they've done a really really good job of providing supplemental information that might help you understand But I think if you were going so I would tell you one start like that would be what I would tell you. Hey, don't let Don't let hypothetical questions that you think you're gonna have paralyze you into fear of never doing what you feel that you need to Do pick it up and start and are you gonna get it all? No Uh, but there's never been a theologian in the history of the world that got it all, right? Like we're we're still unpacking it and learning and growing and walking in grace and that's one of the beautiful things about God and his nature that's testified about in scripture. And then secondly, kind of one B if you will, cuz I think this is equally important is you can't do this alone, right? Like when I when I did when I was in seminary for graduate school um, and I think we were in systematic theology or somewhere like that, and we were just talking about the, the concept of forming a personal theology, um, my professor, and this always stuck with me, is that theology is best done when it's viewed as a team sport, right? That all of us are going to read the Bible with certain background, with certain upbringing, with certain ways of thinking about things, with certain education, and I think to read it only through the lens that you bring to it is going to rob you of the beauty of it. But to allow yourself to enter into a culture that's not like, hey, we're, we're accumulating facts so that I can be the Jeopardy wizard about this book, but I'm studying this book because I believe that there's something in here that is going to teach me about God, and the more that I understand about Him, the more I'm going to receive an invitation for my life to be transformed and to quote, Jesus, to walk in abundant life. As long as I'm doing that faithfully with people, uh, the cool thing about the world that we live in today is it's it's really not that hard. Like we're in the information age, right? Like you have so much more than you know Billy Graham had when he went out on his Crusades. It was he had to go to the library and get books. <laughs> A lot of our generation doesn't even know how the Dewey Decimal System works, right? Like we blocked that out after middle school. Uh, but I would tell you to do it to pick it up. And if you don't understand it, don't get frustrated. Go find some resources, pick up a study Bible you trust, and then 1B, do it with people. Whether that's finding a local church, covenant community of believers, maybe you're watching this online and we'd love for you to share, ask us a question about, hey, is there a church that you can recommend in my area? And we can certainly try to find you one if you're not right here near us. Or if you are right here near us, we'd love to have you here. Um, It's, it's, this is always going to be a task that's best done inside of community around tables like this where we can laugh and we can share, but we can also be reminded of how infinitely beautiful God is as we examine His Word and the way His Word impacts other people around that table. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, All good, thanks. <laughs> All right. So if you want to get connected in a community to dig into the Bible or just be surrounded by other believers, of course, you can find us at Cedar Creek Church online. But we'll put in the show notes ways to get connected to groups in the gray. So thanks for listening. Ben, we miss you if you're listening. And we'll be back in two weeks.
1: Sorry, you're not here, funny guy.